Welcome to Kicking It Local, the podcast all about the football community in South Australia. I'm your host, Johnny Kecko, and today I'm kicking it comfortably, all thanks to Macron Sports Hub Adelaide, providing clubs and sports podcasters with their team wear needs. MacronStoreAdelaide.com.au to get your gear today. And today is part two of my chat with Adrian Sandtrack, the former Matilda's head coach from 20 years ago and also the current under-13s girls coach at Fulham United. If you haven't listened to part one already, go back and listen to that now. Otherwise, here's a quick refresher. Taking over from Raoul, I felt I was ready to, uh, to take over as, uh, as the head coach, um, implement my ideas, and, and a lot of that was fine. Um, but there's a lot more to coaching than, than purely working with the players on the, on the park. Each time, you know, with national anthems being played, you know, we're coming into a game and, and mm. you know, coming into the uh, in the Olympic Games, first game against Italy in Melbourne. Yep. You know, 90,000 people at the MCG and, the, and our national anthem's being played. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. Well, for you, 2003, you coached the Matildas. So that's 20 years ago now. It's a yeah. long time ago. Well, yeah. I was only eight or nine back then. But it's amazing uh, how things have changed since when you were coaching the team back then, the publicity for the Matildas as well is is grown in a massive way. I know social media helps with that as well, but um, also performances and the way the girls are playing and the, the players like Sam Kerr also mm. helps promote the game as well. Um, so I saw an Easter, I went to buy Easter eggs and I've never seen a Socceroos or an A-League Easter egg, but for the first time I saw a Matildas one alongside an NRL and an AFL Easter egg. So it just shows how strong their brand is um, right now, which is awesome to see. Yeah, yeah it is. Matildas have come a long way, they, uh, and, and rightfully so, mm. as has women's sport, you know, uh, as, a, as a collective. Um, our game, our, uh, our brand of football, um, you know, we, are, we know it's the world game, it's the global game. Yep. Um, the, the growth in the women's game globally has been absolutely massive. Um, I mean, back in 2003, we we're in the in the US. I got a phone call from John Bolby. John Bolby was uh, a high performance manager at the AIS at that time. He was uh, part of Football Australia. I can't remember if it was the Football Australia. What they they tagged themselves or mm. Soccer Australia, our old entity. Yep. Um, had gone through that process <coughs> where I mean they were broke. Um, they couldn't function anymore. Um, there was all the internal politics, and there was yeah. a big vote then at that stage to basically for Soccer Australia to be um, dissolved and the new organisation to come on board, um, which I think they called, I can't remember now if it was Football Australia, what they called it, but it was the beginning of the Frank, Frank Lower era. Yep. And there was an interim board that was uh, was voted in as part of the process to go to the, the new board, which would be Frank Lowy's guys. John Bolby rang me uh, in the US just to say, we're here, we've got to the first stage. At that point, up until that point there, Soccer Australia had no money, you know, as far as, you know, for preparation yeah. for any sort of preparation for the Women's World Cup. Women's Soccer Australia had dissolved in 2002. They, they liquidated um, in 2002. So, in effect, the women's national team program, the Matildas at the time, were being run by the AIS. Jeez. You know, um, there was almost nothing, you yeah. know. Um, in, in actual fact, we actually got some funding from uh, from the Australian Sports Commission to take the Matildas on the tournament to to France in 2002. So we'd gone from a um, a sport of our football, male or female, didn't matter, 
you know, where we were effectively broken in an interim, uh, in looking at going forward, finding a way to go forward in, mm-hmm. a, in a new era under Frank uh, Lowy, uh, with a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen in the women's game. You know, uh, the male uh, side of the game was, was where the focus was, where any money that was going to come through was coming through into the men's game. Yep. Uh, that was around that time as well when um, uh, Ange Postacogli was the Joey's, the under-17, the, mm. the, the Aussie youth coach back then. Um, and um, very, very difficult times. Yep. You know, so that was the beginning of where we were going. For us going into that uh, 2003 World Cup, um, we wanted to do something that hadn't been done before. You know, and that was effectively get out of the group stage, win a game, draw a game. At that point, um, Matildas had never picked up a point in, yep, uh, in any major tournament. Anything they'd played through, gone through at that point there, was basically play three, lose three and go home. Yep. And that was the first one that um, we really wanted to, to try and make a mark and change the mm. focus of what was going to be happening. Um, we played um, play three, packed up, went home. You know, it was uh, it was the same same as uh, as it done previously, uh, and that marked really the beginning of the change for the Matildas because um, things had to change. Um, what we were doing locally in terms of player development within our NTC yep. programs back in those days, uh, each state ran a, a national training centre program. It was aligned with uh, with the the state and the institute programs within those states, and players were coached by their NTC coaches uh, within those programs. Uh, what I had done up until that 2003 was um, work with the coaches to ensure that um, player programs were being implemented, that players were being developed in the right way, ready for the national teams. Yep. Um, after 2003, uh, I did my own internal review um, with, uh, with the, the national teams manager, one or two other people at the AIS, and decided that it's time to take it away from the states and make everybody accountable. Uh, in doing so, um, I made a lot of non-friends. <laughs> I won't say enemies, but it upset a lot of people because basically what, uh, what we did with uh, the resource at the AIS, create a, um, a program that every state had to follow and every NTC coach um, was accountable for... for how their, pro, how their players were being developed. We put in place a whole range of, of measures um, that could be measured, you know, um, whether it was through a beat test, whether it was uh, through, you know, physiological testing, a whole range of things in yep. terms of skill things. We, we basically put a whole range of uh, things together. Each time players came in the camp, we would be testing players against those standards that we set. Yep. Uh, those players coming out of states that weren't achieving those standards, right, weren't, uh, were at a disadvantage. So those players were putting pressures on their coaches to, to mm. knuckle down. Those players who weren't uh, getting at the right level or who weren't committing were realising shit, you know, we're not going to get in the, into the Olympic Games, into, into Athens 2004, so they needed to knuckle down. Um, we went into, I was looking at um, historical physiological testing results uh, that we had from many years from uh, previous and coming into the Olympic Games, that group of players was the fittest group of players that... that had ever been put together. We had a couple of little uh, golden gems that um, little dark secrets that um, other countries weren't ready for. Um, Lisa Devana was one of them. Yep. You know, Lisa um, was identified through our our youth teams, um, through the national youth team at the time, and 
uh, we brought her into our camps and started to uh, to introduce her into our our type of football. Very raw yeah. kid, very um, um, interesting upbringing that Lisa had, but um, amazing talent. So raw, so so unpredictable, and so explosive, so un female if you like yeah you know um in the the speed the agility the mobility that uh, that she had she frightened the life out of everybody <laughs> yeah and that was the beginning of yeah the um the start for the matures the change you know at um at athens um we we um, won our first game i think it was against uh, no we lost our first game at brazil we played brazil mm. um lost one nil against them then we played greece um we uh, we beat greece and we knew on the back of that where we should be through into the quarterfinal, into yep. the next next stage. It's an historic moment as well, the first ever win on a, in a tournament. Yeah, first ever Huge. time that yeah, the Matildas yeah. won a game. And it sort of took a little bit of the gloss was taken off because it was Greece. Yep. You know, it wasn't against a, a big team. Um, but nevertheless, it's the first win that we'd ever had at a, yep. at a major tournament. Well, look tournament. at the ones you probably lost to in the past. So yeah. Yeah. not big teams either. No, exactly. Yeah. A lot of small... Uh, Lesser countries, if you yeah. like, and then our uh, our third game in Athens was against the uh, the US, you know, um, uh, the world number ones, and we drew against the the US, and we were unlucky not to have won the game. Um, it could have gone either way, yep. but uh, prior to that game against the US, I think the Matildas had played something like twenty four games against them, lost every one. You know, we'd never taken a point off the US, never beaten them, never took a point off them prior to that uh, that. Uh, game in the in Athens and um for the girls that was that was a massive boost massive boost in in confidence in belief um you know it uh it that was between between the Greece game and the and the US game that was the beginning of the turning point for yeah. for the Matildas they the the level of belief and growth that they had confidence in the in themselves their own ability as individuals as players as a team um yeah, you know, it just grew enormously. Yeah, and then we um, we got in the quarterfinal. We played against Sweden, lost two one. We uh, we conceded um, a couple of early goals in the first half against Sweden, and um, Lisa Devano, uh, Celine Kurilai, a um, couple of other uh, players started off on the bench. Uh, we made a sub. I think it was probably after 35, 40 minutes. Got Lisa on. Um, the game. How quickly the game changed. Yeah, uh, especially the second half, uh, it was it was amazing. We we ended up we scored I think maybe fifteen minutes. I don't know from the end, could have had a couple more if the game had gone another ten minutes. I'm sure we would have won that one. Yeah, and uh, and continued on. But that was that tournament for for the Matildas uh, was clearly, you know the 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 beginning of yeah you know their their massive massive steps going forward. You know, and as it was, um, you know, we played. Um, yeah, we played against Brazil, um, lost against Brazil 1-0. We played against the US and drew, the, drew against them. The game we lost against Sweden. Sweden were grand finalists in the World Cup two, uh, 12 months before. Yep. They lost the uh, grand final, I think it was on penalties, against uh, Germany. You know, um, barely 12 months before that, that game that we yeah. played. They were at the top of the game and they were, they were ever so lucky that we got away with it. Um, the U.S. ended up, I think, playing as Brazil in the uh, in the final for the for the gold mm. medal, you know, and they were both in our group. You know, the belief, as I say, you know, the um, the beginning of what was 
going to be a strong future for the Matilda started at uh, 2004 yep. Olympics. And then, of course, the game is just growing and growing and growing. Yep. You know, the, the money that uh, countries are investing. Uh, and this is the um, – now it becomes – while there's been massive growth, it becomes now the concern for the yep. Matildas in particular um, how Australian football is going to be able to maintain its growth and its development, you know, with the rest of the world. The rest of the world, Europe is pumping mega dollars yeah. into mm. their leagues, into their, their women's programs. You know, there's any of the, the top six, seven, eight, possibly ten teams from Europe, uh, awesome teams. They're absolutely awesome. You know, Canada have stepped up with uh, with theirs. The US is still around the mark. South America are throwing more money in. Spain, you know, um, you know who four, five, six years ago you wouldn't even talk about. Portugal yep. you wouldn't talk about. You know, they've gone gone through the roof. The African nations are, are still poor, you know, uh, financially. They're not uh, – they don't have that same development that, uh, that the other countries have got. But, you know, this World Cup is uh, is big for us uh, in, uh, in Australia, big for the Matildas, but it's also dangerous. Mm. You know, there's a lot of expectation of the Matildas to go on. Uh, that first game they've got against uh, Northern Ireland, um, beware. <laughs> Where it's uh, it's not going to be an easy game. No, definitely won't be. But it will be exciting to see them though play here. Tickets went back on sale. Um, well, as we're recording it today, it went on back on sale. Some extra tickets, and it's hard to get a hold of some good seats now because everyone's gone for the Matildas games or the grand final, the final, which is uh, in Sydney as well. Same stadium, Stadium Australia. It's going to be a big game. Um, a lot of eyes are on it. Uh, there's going to be more eyes on it. But the the people, there's a lot of skeptics out there at the moment. Do you reckon? Uh, we've the media's kind of grown with the the game over the years, the coverage for the women's game, and also just for football in general, from where it was twenty years ago. But do you reckon it's it should be a lot bigger in the media at the moment um, for the women's World Cup, or is it in our favour a bit better that it's not as prominent with some media? There's, yeah, there's some media are still not. I'm not a fan of um, of uh, Australian media. Um, nor the AFL. Yep. Um, where do you start and stop? Yeah. You know, I grew up obviously in Australia. My parents' uh, mother was Italian. Yep. Uh, father from the old Yugoslavia. Um, I went through school um, as the wog who plays soccer. Yep. You know, you're a spick, you're a spag, you're a dago, you're a wog, you play wog ball. Um, got beat up at school because I played wog ball. Um, Nobody can tell me that uh, Australia isn't or hasn't been a, a racist country. Mm. Um, and that's that. And, you know, I'm Australian. I'm not saying, you know, Australia, you know, separating myself. I'm yeah. part of the whole thing. Um, I see when I look at uh, Australia's media and I look at um, AFL's in particular role within Australian media, um, I can understand why soccer doesn't get the um, the benefit of great exposure um, through the media. Um, you know, you look at the uh, the bid that we had for last year's World Cup, you know, that bidding process that went through, uh, we couldn't get any of the major stadiums. We didn't get support from the AFL at all. Mm. Um, you know, there was that insular, that mentality, What whether there's... Uh, 
you know, a one-upmanship, whether it's uh, an ego uh, attached to what the AFL do or whatever else. Um, you know, the amount of control that um, that appears to be through government corridors and media um, is not uh, consistent, you know, or the amount, of, uh, the amount of exposure is not consistent. You know, when you look at, um, you know, the AFL, you know, they had the, the, the footy, uh, what do they call that, um, the round they had here a few weeks ago. The gathering, yeah. yeah. You know, the amount of media that jumped all over uh, what I see as being a carnival more than anything else. I mean, they yeah. brought all the uh, all the games into South Australia, played in a few country venues, played at, at Adelaide Oval. The amount of exposure with the Premier, with uh, uh, the media, television, you know, printed media, uh, electronic media, all over the place, you know, saturated was, uh, was ridiculous. Mm. And yet... Our game, um, when the soccer is Matildas or something, do something extraordinary. Um, you know, when we talk about the uh, the World Cup that's coming up now, we're getting you know scant um, uh, recognition. We get uh, by comparison almost nothing. You know, if if there was a uh, an AFL uh, World Cup coming to Australia this year, you know, uh, it would be huge. Yeah. You know, even the old days when the AFL were playing their the their uh, games against Ireland, you know, the the combined version of Gaelic football, whatever they wanted to call it, you know, the amount of media exposure that was, was happening there was yep. massive, you know, by comparison to what the Matildas are getting now when we're coming into a, a World Cup or what this World Cup is actually getting. Mm. You know, uh, it's it's nowhere near enough. It's, you know, where we're, um, uh, the way our sport is treated, um, you know, is, is wrong. Minor sports generally you know, don't get uh, a fair shake of, of um, the media coverage that they should get, you know. But our sport, given that we're a global sport, we're the biggest sport in the world by a country mile, you know, we've, you know, we go back to all the statistics, you know, the greatest participation, participation levels, all that sort of stuff. Um, yes, I understand AFL is the national game. It's the biggest sport in, in Australia. It always will be, yep. you know. But for the amount of government funding to... Uh, be brought forward, you know, into into AFL. You know, you got uh, Adelaide Oval when uh, when that redevelopment uh, happened at Adelaide Oval for cricket and for yep. for AFL. You know, the Crows are getting a new venue um, that the government have, have managed to to find a way at Thebiton. You know, um, it just goes on. You know, a quarter of a billion dollars for a new stadium for AFL in uh, in Hobart. You know, it was interesting. I sidelined. You know, there was some talk about. Um, the indexation for uni students uh, that's just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago and there was some talk there that uni uni students or the study should be free. Uh, yep. And there was a politician who turned around and said, oh, you know, you want the government to spend, uh, I think it was $4 billion on uh, on uni students, but it's okay to spend a quarter of a billion dollar on, on the, the wealthiest sport in the country. Yep. You know, how does that work? You know, and then the media, of course, will, you know, media, I believe, when I was growing up, the media were meant to be that that body to keep people honest. They would report good things and they would report bad things. And if you were doing things wrongly, then they would jump all over it as a government or whatever mm. else. Yet the government um, can give AFL a quarter of a billion dollars and that's okay in the media's eyes. There's no negativity attached to it. It's a, oh, this is a great thing. Look at what's happening. And how much money are Tasmania? The Tasmanian government spending, yep. what are their people paying? Mm. You know, it's... Um, there's a, a massive thing. So, yeah, it this it could go on and on. Are we being discriminated against by the media? Absolutely. Yeah, but would you reckon with the 
once it hits Australia, it will they will automatically jump on board because it's going to realise how big it's going to be? I think it'll be the same as uh, any other major event that, that happens. It'll be the, the media will jump all over it. It'll be there the moment that um, the teams leave our shores and the World Cup is over. Um, back to normal. It'll be back to normal. It'll, the, it, you'll be long forgotten. Yeah, and talking about funding as well, in the local game, we've seen it's had to happen so that we could get the World Cup. We've seen funding to local venues. Cooper Stadium got the redevelopment. It took us to get the World Cup to, to get that redevelopment and also um, some grounds, of, uh, local grounds have got funding um, to have the training bases. It's interesting you say that. The um, my understanding, and I stand to be corrected by anyone who knows better, but my understanding is that with the government spending the forty odd million dollars on Coopers, that that forty million dollars wasn't to get the stadium compliant to FIFA standards. If the World Cup was uh, World Cup stadiums were being chosen uh, to be compliant to FIFA standards, we wouldn't have a World Cup in Adelaide. Yep. Right. That stadium, the 40-odd million, wasn't to – it was to provide upgrade of services, upgrade of uh, facilities to, to meet some of FIFA. But in order to make it a FIFA-compliant stadium, they needed to spend a hell of a lot more than they did and they mm. weren't prepared to do so. I believe that Adelaide got the uh, the group stages more so on the, ba- on the strength of the legacy proposal that it had put forward because we wouldn't get the money from the, the government to upgrade the stadium to make it a compliant stadium. Yep. Um, so while the government spent, you know, forty odd million on uh, on Coopers, um, really quite a pathetic effort. Mm. You know, uh, just a, a, another upgrade. Let's get another few changes. Let's get some corporate f- uh, facilities. Put a put a grandstand on the roof. Um, a roof on the uh, on the eastern grandstand that doesn't keep uh, the sun or the rain out from anybody anyway. Um, you know, it would, I think it's a pathetic effort from our government to um, – because um, they quite quite easily, I believe, could have lost the World Cup. Mm, well, it's good well, the, it, the good that we do have it now. I'm not well-versed in the area to know exactly the backgrounds to know um, to be able to correct you or not. But the to have it here in Adelaide – now, let's talk about the games coming here now. We've got five games. We've got four group stages and also a knockout stage here in Adelaide. How good is it for the local game as well, these – it's, it's, it's exciting to have it. I'm excited. Yeah. I've bought my tickets to every home game. I've bought my tickets to Sydney as well. Um, how, how exciting is it? How have you got tickets? Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of waiting. <laughs> a lot you've of waiting. Done, you've done well. I even jumped on board today and gave up straight away. It was, yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, the first time I only – I got every game in Adelaide in the first opening, um, but except England, I couldn't get that. Mm. I had to wait to the next one. I just went for England and then – I also had some spare time and I found tickets in the World Cup grand, the final in Sydney. Yeah. And then today oh. I went and got my semi-final tickets in Sydney as well. Brilliant. So brilliant. You've done ever so well. Yeah, so I was lucky to get all yeah. the, the the um the easier ones out of the way in the first lot and I could just go straight to the uh, the, yeah. the important games in the second yeah. lot. Um I think you have to be strategic about it, but hopefully it's more coming out, but uh, it's exciting to see what um what it's going to be like and oh. the buzz it will create yeah. for the future of women's football as well. The buzz is going to be huge. The buzz through Adelaide, the buzz through through uh, right around the country, mm. you know, um, is is going to be massive. You know, game day in the in the stadiums. I hope that that somehow the the energy that's around the World Cup, you know, can uh, translate on a daily basis, you yep. know, through the city, through the country <coughs> areas, 
you know, not just wait for, you know, the atmosphere around Hindmarsh or around, yeah. around Coopers, but, you know, try and have that atmosphere right through for the, and make it a full carnival, full <coughs> festival, mm. you know, for, uh, for a longer period of time. You know, but it, it is huge. It's going to be so, so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have the Fan Fest, which is going to be cool. Um, the FIFA Fan Fest, which I think is the first time in women's football to, to have one. It's only been around a few, a few years in the uh, men's one, but that will add an extra buzz in the city as well. So it's going to be exciting to see. Um, but looking to the World Cup that you went to 20 years ago as a head coach of the Matildas, now sitting back as a fan watching the Matildas in our own country, how do you feel it's uh, the, the the game's gone like since then and seeing it now in Australia? Did you actually let's put it this way? Back then, did you ever if you got told in twenty years' time we'll be hosting our own grand final and Australian uh, the women's team as well would would be in the public eye a lot more and have a big name, one of the board's best footballers in Sam Kerr playing for us, would you have believed him? 20 years is a long time. It's mm. a long time for development because um, there's there's no crystal ball and, you know, sort of when you get to, you know, 20 years forward, then you look back 20 years and then you can see how quickly the growth has come because it hasn't happened over that 20 years. It, it's it's over 20 years but the greatest growth has been more recent. Yeah. You know, um, with this generation of players, you know, more so with, uh, with Sam Kerr, with um, – um, you know the the better quality players that uh, that are in the, uh, and around you know Ellie Carpenter and you know and a few of the others that are, are through there. The um, but if if someone had said it, I, I would have thought, well, yeah, you know, I hope so, I hope so. You can't at that time. Yeah, there's looking forward. I, you couldn't see that that could happen. You know, you couldn't see that 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 level of growth could happen, knowing where the game was at that point, yeah. where you know. The finances were, you know, government corridors, you know, in terms of funding and those sorts of things, um, very, very difficult. And you look forward and think, mm, mm. okay, it'd be great if it can. I don't see how. Well, how do you see? Uh, I'm going to put. I'm going to ask you the question now. In 20 years' time, <laughs> how do you see the work, uh, the the uh, the Matildas um, being in 20 years from now? But look, looking back on the way the last 20 same. years have been, it's uh, the, it's the same. I, I look at at um, global growth and and financial growth that uh, that happens with it all. Um, I look at the Australian sporting landscape um, and how it's uh, how it's dominated by one sport. Yep. Uh, financially and uh, through through media, through government corridors, etc. I don't think that's going to change either. Um, a lot of that has a huge bearing on on actual on development yep. on uh, on player development on human development. Um, I'd like to think that Matildas can continue to grow that, and the same with the Socceroos continue to grow. I think with the Socceroos we're going into a new cycle, a new cycle of exciting young players that are that going back eight ten years ago you couldn't look forward and say where the next generation of players were coming yeah. from, and it looked like we we're, we're in trouble here. You know, uh, this next generation of players that are coming through now are, are quite exciting. Yep. You think, wow, this is uh, this is good stuff. You know, I watch um, uh, the Saturday morning um, FSA programs, the SAT programs, and you see some of the kids that are coming through and some of the girls that are in uh, in my under thirteen team um, out at Fulham, and there's uh, and the girls that we're playing against, and there's a group of players from uni last year um, who were in the uh, under. 
under 13 uh, group that are immensely talented. And I was, you sort of, you look at these kids coming through, um, there's some real talent. Um, but there's a lot, development's not, you, you can't take it for granted. Development just doesn't just happen. And the way players are developed and the way that they grow, you know, you see really talented kids today at, uh, at 11, 12, 13 years old. Yep. Kevin's got one at the moment at nine. Um, there's no guarantee that those players are actually going to become world beaters. They should with the talent they've got at this age. But, you know, will they get all the right components of their development to take them to that next level? You look at what's happening overseas, you look at um, at Europe and uh, how quickly the development of the Spanish players has, has been over their last five, six, seven years. Uh, you look through England, you look through Germany, um, France, mm. you know, the development programs, the money that, they, that they're spending, the quality yep. of their programs. Um, we don't have that level of, uh, of quality, the level of money. We're still struggling for, for uh, the amount of funding that we need to sustain ourselves on a basic level. You know, you know the fact that the, the Socceroos don't have a, a home. You know, Socceroos come back into a camp in Australia and they've got to hire out Leichhardt Oval so they can have a training venue. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things, you know, that's absurd. You know, we've got a fantastic facility at, um, at Jeps Cross now with the FSA. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, which is brilliant. That's been – that's – Welcome, fantastic um, uh, part facility of that legacy plan funded as well. by the government, which is uh, yeah. which is great. Um, I think, you know, I'm forever forever perhaps a soccer critic or a government critic when it comes to this sort of thing. I think it's too small for um, for tomorrow. Yeah, the facility needs to to be a lot bigger, a lot more modified, mm. a well, lot. You know, oh, so yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but it is a good step though for what we've. For where, from where we were to where we are now, we have our own venue. It's fantastic, I think. It is. It's, it's a step. Um, but, I, I, again, I tend to look at it and think, you know, where's your planning for the future? Mm. Okay, if it's a step, okay, let's say it's a step, how are you now going to develop yep. that further? What is the next stage? Yeah. You know, I can see all the land around that's pretty well taken. Yeah. You know, um, geographically, it's um, it doesn't work to, to put – other grounds anywhere yeah. near it. You've got uh, – I mean, the school's not going to go anywhere. The yeah. super school, that's, uh, they're not going to knock that down and put more uh, more soccer pitches in. Yep. So if it's a step, you know, that's fine. But, you know, why not look at the grander pictures? It's a little mm. bit like um, building the, the Southern Expressway and making it one way all the way through. Yeah. What are you <laughs> planning for the future? Yeah. You know, it's going to cost a lot more, you know, 50 years down the track to build the other, the mm. other lane, you know, which is what they've done, you know, to make it two ways. Well – why wouldn't you spend the money up front now and make it into a, a world-class facility, you know, based in South Australia? Instead, we've got a, a really good facility for the local game, but why wouldn't the government have made it into a world-class facility? Mm. Well, at least we've got something. I think, I don't know, I'm not a, a massive critic, but mm. it's, I think it's great that we've got something like that which you didn't have uh, 12, mm. uh, 18 months ago. And I've seen the young kids playing it. It's great to see they're enjoying oh, it. Yeah. To play on that, um, those artificial pitches and even the five-a-side pitches are, are pretty decent for the young kids to play in. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think it's it's great to have something like that because when I was growing up, I didn't play, uh, but you, you only had the – when they first got West Beach and Apex, um, which was Valo back in um, when it first opened up, two different venues, two different sides of the city. Um, but now you've got one yeah. big venue and it can hold – the big games as well, like it held LA United and um, LA City, which was held 4,000 that night. I think it has the capacity of 8,000. So the talking about the local games and the local clubs, the you're involved with 
Fulham United um, now yeah. as mm-hmm. a under 13s. Yeah. Um, so you're got a, a big uh, junior base there as well. Um, how how are you finding it now coaching in that in the uh, the underage um, that area now with the girls? 20 years on, mm. coaching Matildas, now coaching under 13. It's different. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's different. It, it, um, they're all different challenges, whether, you know, with the, working with the Oliroos or whether it was uh, with the Matildas or, you know, coaching at the local um, uh, NPL with, um, you know, a couple of the clubs here when I was, uh, when I'd coached at White City or, um, or Olympic and then, um, you know, in the WNPL, you know, and then uh, now with these kids, mm. they're all different. But it's all uh, it's all coaching. It's all yep. development. It's all growth. It's all education. It's all helping players to 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 grow and develop and become who they uh, who they they can be. Yep. You know, at Fulham. Um, you know, my daughter Mia. Um, she's twelve now, and she's been playing at Fulham now for six seven years. Uh, started off, I think, it was in the under sixes with the in the the boys, and you know, once you're there and you you're watching your kids and you're watching other kids, you know. You, the, there's always a buzz around watching kids placing, you know, chasing a, a round ball around the place. You know, it's it's huge. And um, Fulham's a good club. You know, uh, we sort of fell in there. Um, we'd live close. We had other options, but went to um, to uh, to have a look at what they uh, they can offer. And um, you know, it's a very good club. They've got, uh, you know, their their focus, their reason for for being there is for junior development. Yeah, you know, it's the reason that the club had, had had started in the first instance you know it's a reason why they're there you know um um uh, i've got a, a a greater far greater appreciation for for volunteers than uh, than i've ever had um and whichever club you go to and you know we know that uh, all sports amateur sports in particular you know run on on the back of of uh, the blood sweat and tears of, of volunteers yeah. to keep them alive and spend so many hours and so many uh uh, difficult moments, you know, to to keep their clubs going, and Fulham's no different. There, um, you know, John Harper's has done an amazing job down there over over the years. Um, one person um, couldn't do it all. Now this year, um, you know, Michael Consalvo has uh, has come on board along with a new committee. They've um, separated a lot of the duties uh, to make it more streamlined and give uh, a better uh, a better presence and a better, um, I, I guess, beginning or a, a stronger um, progression towards a better culture for uh, for these kids for development and yep. uh, and both male and female. You know, obviously, um, uh, Kevin looks after the, the the girls' programs as uh, our technical director, and you know, for uh, for Fulham to have found a way to bring Kevin on board um, is is pretty special. Yeah, yeah. well, Kevin Hollihan, I had him on as a guest on this uh, podcast, and cool. he mentioned how uh, um, he doesn't like having parents as coaches but he made you as an exception <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay how's that feel yeah. what's it like coaching your daughter um it would be interesting to to be able to do that wouldn't it it's in, it's it is it's um <laughs> it's not difficult in one hand and yet it's difficult in the yeah. other hand um you know my background from coaching um you know i coach you know i don't see um in many ways, I don't focus on the individual. I yep. focus on the on the players and the team. I don't see the face or the the name yep. behind the face. Obviously, I, I know who it is, um, but I see the player 
and I'm relating with the, with the player in every instance. And the decisions that I make are always in the best interest of the player, the team, that group of players, uh, yep. whether it be defenders or whatever it may be. Um, coaching me is the same. You know, I see Mia there, but I see a player. You know, I see a footballer, a, a young player who wants to develop, wants to grow, the same as you know her other 10, 11, 12 uh, teammates that she has. Yep. You know, and so I don't feel that I treat her any differently than any other. Uh, I don't think I'm any harder on her, but I'm certainly not any softer on mm. her. Um, I'm just a, a <coughs> big ogre, I think, for, <laughs> for all of them. To try and make them all scared of me. But it's 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 fun. Yeah. There's a, a lot of enjoyment, a lot of satisfaction. There's frustrating moments as well with you know, um with expecting, hoping to see a greater a quicker rate of development, you know, understanding that development is incremental. You know, you may not get any development mm. out of a player in a short period of time. You know, you may see some incremental development, you may see, you know, quite quick development in some players. But it's uh, it's a little bit up and down and and players you know, we'll, uh, we'll improve to a point, then they'll plateau a little bit, uh, may plateau for a long time and you want to see better development happening. Um, sometimes the information that we're trying to get through doesn't doesn't sink in. Yep. But, you know, you also have to understand that, you know, the way human nature works, yeah. that, that um, you know, you can repeat the same message over and over and over. You might do it for a week, you might do it for a month, you might do it for six months, you know, and eventually the message will get through. You don't know why it gets through. You know, it might be, you know, um, as I say, it might be instant or it might be a long way down the track. But when it gets through, it's really satisfying. Yeah. Because then they're doing something that's better, that's benefiting their game, that's benefiting, benefiting their futures as they go. Mm. You know, um, and Kevin's much the same, of the, the, the same um, mindset with uh, with that sort of thing. So while, you know, um, I guess I'm, I'm lucky. Me is not so lucky, but I'm lucky to be able to coach her. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's great for the club that you know they've got a, a really good structure um, and a, a strong culture for de- development for mm. for male and female. <coughs> They're doing things a little bit differently between the two. Kevin's the technical director with uh, with the girls, and there's got really good control um, and communication with uh, with the coaches. He knows the players and is able to re- uh, relate to players really well. Uh, well. Whereas on the men's side, they don't currently have a technical director. They've had technical directors in the, in the past, and it hasn't quite worked out um, in the best way that the club would have wanted. Yeah, you know, so uh, they've gone in a different uh, way at the moment with their development with the youngsters, with coordinators at different age groups, and that seems to be working quite well for them at the moment. You know, perhaps in the future they may have a, uh, um, you know, I don't know, a, a better focus on uh, on yep. finding a technical director. But the development is. Um, um, yeah, you know, is difficult. Mm. You know, but the club's doing a fantastic job in in creating a forum, creating an environment for these kids to be able to uh, to develop, to grow, to have a uh, a place to to play the game and and hopefully love the game. Yep. You know, uh, right from the mini roos coming through all the way up. You know, um, first thing for for these kids is to learn to love the game. Yeah. You know, you're here. You know, love chasing the ball, love kicking the ball, love massaging the ball, love. Love taking the ball to, to bed with you, sleep with the thing, you know, um, just love the game. And then if these kids, as, as they're coming through, they're loving the game and the club's doing the right thing that, that now Fulham very clearly are, uh, they've got such a strong positive environment right through, you know, it, um, it's a great place for kids to be. Yeah. And then it's a great place for 
for uh, for coaches and for parents to to hang out and look and just watch all these kids just run around the place having the ball. Well, it's good to see. It seems like you're enjoying it by the way you're speaking about it. That you really enjoy being being there at the club yeah. and doing what you're doing. Yeah, I still get a buzz. Yeah, you, know, you drive through the parklands even. You know, yeah. You, you know, you stop on a on a Saturday morning, you see some school soccer going, well, you know, or something. You just see these kids chasing the ball everywhere. Yeah, you know, it's just you don't even can't even see the ball. You just uh, you know where the ball is because all these kids are just bunched around it. Yeah, you know, it's great fun. And the interesting thing is, we're talking about twenty years from now for the World Cup. Mm. Twenty years from now, these girls are going to be at the age that someone in their age group may be playing in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's and this is this is the thing you you know. Kids, kids should be encouraged to dream. Mm. You know, um, we shouldn't be telling kids um, or sending any messages that oh, you know, you can't achieve this, or you know, that's not possible, or that's going to be out of your reach. You know, kids as they're growing up, they, you know, they should be able to see their stars, you know, and have the dreams that to to be like their stars yep. or better, or see something that that they want to dream about. And then, you know, we as coaches, parents, otherwise, you know, we need to try and provide the best platform for our kids to achieve their dreams. Yep. You know, uh, wherever it's possible. Well, yeah, and talking about seeing as well, this another thing back with the World Cup. Yeah. Going to the games, Cooper Stadium, if there's any opportunities for open training sessions at any of the venues, then seeing those players go in there and just seeing the buzz around go, that's, yeah. that's what I want to do. Yeah. And yeah. uh, seeing it on TV is one thing. It's great. You get that buzz, but there's nothing like seeing it here. And we're going to see a lot of it, and it's going to be all around us, hopefully. Yeah. And good point. Mm. You know, uh, training venues. Yeah. You know, open training sessions. If uh, if people can get out and go and go and be part of that, it's great for for the players as mm. well. You know, you've got open training sessions. You've got people who are coming watching the game. You've got crowds, you know, uh, around their training sessions. Those players will lift. Yeah, you know, they can't not lift when there's a bit of a buzz around the stadium, as opposed to turning up at an empty, yeah. empty training venue. They'll train well, they'll be focused, they'll mm. be sharp. But if there's a buzz around the stadium, you know, there's electricity that's yeah. in there as well. It'll give them a match type feel, and it's brilliant for people to come and watch and see the quality that's yep. out there and see how they apply themselves. And it's great for the uh, the players mm. to have that atmosphere to be able to train in. Yeah, well, let's hope there are going to be some. I don't know if there is any um, or not planned at the moment, but there will be those. Yeah, yeah, those opportunities for kids to do that and see those things. I remember going to watch Liverpool when they trained at Cooper Stadium. Yeah, and um, when they played at Adelaide Oval, it was. I reckon there was more people there than some average Adelaide United <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, and the buzz yeah. is unreal. And yeah. then the best bit was after the game, all the uh, parents gave their kids a memory that they would never forget. Pick one. Father picked them up, chucked them on the on the pitch, ran across. The, the security couldn't do anything. So then all the parents, there was like hundreds of kids on there by the end of it. Brilliant. It was yeah. great to see. And just watching yeah. them running around with a ball, like you just said, mm. on that pitch um, and just created a moment for them. And I'm sure those yeah. kids would would have loved it um, to do something like that. And yeah. it just and creates those never moments. Forget it. Yeah. And hopefully one day they'll be playing uh, on that pitch. Yeah. Mm. Well, I still have good... You know, my memories of back in those same sort of thing. But yeah. back in those days, Highmark Stadium, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it was the the local competition. You know, in the middle of summer, they yeah. played the Ampol yeah. Cup over. You know, that Christmas, uh, January, uh, February period. Yep. You know, as part of the warm up coming into the winter. You know, I played in the uh, in the they used to have a zone tournament. I played in the Northwest Zone. You know, and the biggest buzz that you got, you know, was to play on Highmark Stadium. Yeah. Get out on the on the park and actually play on. This is our stadium. This is you know it's yeah. it's amazing. And these kids that get to go, you know, the mini roos who play halftime of um, 
of the uh, the A League games. Yeah, uh, they get out on there. It's a massive buzz for mm. them. You know, it's uh, it's huge. And then you know, whatever they can experience in the um, in this World Cup, whether it's at Coopers, whether it's in those uh, training sessions, as you say, mm. you know. Um, yeah, they'll never forget the experiences they have. No, nah, definitely not. Fun. And they'll inspire them to hopefully uh, do yeah. the same and play um, professionally. Hopefully, we'll get to that point. But it's all done uh, now. I've enjoyed chatting to you. It's been a great chat. We could have we could have been here for hours. <laughs> Easy. It's, it's Easy. been, it's been yeah. a really enjoyable been chat. Yeah, I've yeah. really enjoyed getting to know you side about playing, coaching, national stage, and then the women's game in general as well. Um, but... Let's finish it off with the same questions I ask all my guests uh, that I have on here. Yeah. Who would you love to kick it with on the park? Anyone. Kick a, kick a ball with if you had the opportunity to. Kick a ball with? Yeah. Anyone in the anyone. world. Corny. The biggest buzz I would get would be if I can get, uh, which I've never, I've never actually done it properly. If I could get in the game with my two sons and my daughter. Yep. And actually have a have a, a kick around with them in a in a proper game of some sort. Yeah, it would, okay. I'd have I'd have the biggest buzz. But you saw you me. loved, yeah. More than more than any other player. How in old the world. are your kids? So 12, 28, and thirty. Yeah. Oh, nice. Big. Uh, <laughs> there's a big gap in there, but they're um, that that for me would be the biggest buzz. I'd I'd love to um, to play in uh, yeah. in something. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Media game won't be the media. They don't, they won't like me. Um, yeah, anything like that. It it would be yeah. That would be for me bigger than bigger than having a kick around with Messi or Ronaldo or mm. or uh, any of the superstars of, of world football. Well, on a Saturday night, different question. How mm-hmm. would you love? Uh, who would you love to kick it with on a Saturday night? Watching football and have a couple of drinks. I would love to sit down with Guardiola. Yep, that'd Pep, be good. Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, and get in the in their heads. Mm. You know, coaching is one thing. You know, their coaching methods, their philosophies, and stuff. But to understand the the mind, the the thinking. You mm. know, they're they're arguably the two best coaches in the world at the moment. Have been for a while. Um, their thinking, their philosophies are similar, but very very different. Um, but what it is that makes them tick, what it is that um, gives them the, the thoughts, the ideas of, of putting together the structures that they, they've come up with. Yeah. Um, Guardiola in particular, you know, you know, his background with, uh, through Barcelona and the influence through, uh, through, through Barcelona um, and the, the quality of the players, but how he's evolved as a coach and how his teams have evolved. Yep. Yeah, they'd, they'd be my two. I'd be. I'd yeah. love to sit down with those two. That'd be yeah, very uh, interesting to sit down with the both of them. Yeah, uh, and then same one. But who would you do that with locally as well? In- include them in that. So, um, who would you love to include with those two locally? Locally. Oh. Maybe Raul Blanco talk about the old times again, or someone else. <laughs> There'd be there'd be potentially a mix. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, Raoul would be would be would love to that to have that opportunity to sit and talk football. Yeah, so would Les Scheinflug. Um, Raoul's son Danny Blanco, yep. Daniel Blanco, coaches yeah. out at Western Strikers. Um, I could probably sell tickets to him. I'd, I'd make a dollar or two from him <laughs> on the seat like that. Um, there'd be lots. There'd be lots yep. of people. I don't, you'd almost want to make it an open forum and and invite um, 20, 40, 50 people to 
to sit there and and just Watch throw questions together. at these guys. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, there'd be there'd be lots. Well, there you go. Your list is very long. So <laughs> <laughs> too long, I think. Um, they'll probably uh, that list you can try and get through by the next tw- uh, World Cup in twenty years' time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll see whether I can shorten it somehow. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for joining me, uh, Adrian. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, learn about your World Cup, uh, your time at the World Cup with the Matildas, the Olympics, and Ollie Ruse and everything else in between. It's been a, a bit, been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing what um, you you can do at Fulham United with the, the next generation of uh, women footballers. It's been a pleasure, Johnny. Really love it. Thank you. That was Adrian Santrack. Make sure you subscribe to Kicking It Local wherever you get your podcasts so you can get a taste of the SA football community. Plus, follow at Kicking It Local SA on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of the action. See you soon.